middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. With Tommy Castor and Weston Mills, this is Keeper of the Games. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Keeper of the Games. We call ourselves the wildly underqualified, yet mildly entertaining podcast that is all about sports in the air capital of Wichita, Kansas, and beyond. We are officially kicking off Season 2, Episode 1. It is our officially our overall 49th episode of the podcast. Podcast and uh, we're back from our uh, our long winter's nap. I think that was in uh, the was the night before Christmas, but uh, we're back from that month long break uh, over the holidays. We hope you enjoyed your holiday season, and now we're back with uh, some fantastic sports talk over the next hour to hour and a half or so. I'm Tommy Caster, along with Weston Mills and Blake Cripps, and we've got a pretty big announcement regarding Blake Cripps that we'll get to here in just a moment. But first off, Weston, how are you, man? How are things going? Doing good, Tommy. Uh, you know, before we get to, to the big news you're referring to, I will say I, I think our podcast really is growing because my eye doctor uh, listens to us. He told me that the last time I was in. So shout out to Dr. Tomasu. Uh, hopefully he listens nice. to the first episode back from uh, from the uh, Christmas break here. So but uh, we're growing, Tommy. We are. Yes. Yeah, slowly but surely we're getting there. And, uh, you know, I think that 2021 is going to be even bigger and hopefully we're going to be able to get even more popular and more listens and more exposure and all of that down the road. And it starts tonight because we've got Blake Cripps here on the show. And, you know, those of you that listen to the podcast regularly, you're familiar with Blake. You know, Blake, he's he's on the show uh, you know, every now and then. But we just figured that we needed some more notoriety here on the program. <laughs> and the fact that he just kind of hangs around. Uh, if you follow us on social media, you saw the announcement uh, on Wednesday that we were adding Blake as a permanent co-host here to Keeper of the Games. He accepted that offer. And uh, and Blake, now you're here. How do you feel? Well, you know, I've always wanted to be the fourth man on a three-man show. And so now I get to live that dream through you guys. I'm kind of like that thing that hangs on the bottom of those mud flaps on your truck once you run through and you try to scrape off after you get done running around you know running through the mud in the country and your four by four uh it's kind of what i feel like so uh yeah hopefully we'll make it through the car wash Hey, and you know what? In honor of you joining the show, Blake, I, I haven't told you this. I've not told Weston this, uh, really? but I I have a in honor of you joining. I have a brand new uh, nickname for you here on the show um, that that I will probably try to refer to you as as often as I can, and that is Hot Take Blake. <laughs> and I I just feel like the the rhyming is there. It just it fits you, and so hot take. Blake Cripps joins us here on Keeper of the Games. How do you feel about that? I mean, uh, correct take, and I, and I look forward to the liberal use of the correct take horn. Um, oh, such a great compliment! Thanks so much for agreeing with me, Tommy. Um, I, you know, it's it's uh, it's really just music to my ears, and when I hear that horn, it's just this, like a scientific reaction, like a Pavlovian reaction to keep saying whatever I'm saying. It's making you hit that horn. I just, I just have to keep going. I, it's almost like I enjoy the take more whenever I hear that horn. 
Well, I'm going to double down and say that uh, from what I said on on social media, that uh, really at the end of the day, I'm just excited to get back to the show so I can just swat away all the ridiculous opinions that both you guys are going to have over the next hour or so. Unlikely, but I mean, you know, goals for 2021. That's all right. Well, it's, it's too bad they're going to die at the end of the show, but, uh, you know, goals for 2021, Tommy. Well, we got a lot to get to here on this episode of Keeper of the Games, but before we dive into all of it, I want to remind you to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode of the podcast, you will get a notification. Of course, you can find us on platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Pocket Cast, all the major podcast platforms. You can listen to Keeper of the Games right there. You can also go to our website, cogsports.com. That's K-O-G sports.com. You can watch uh, full videos on Facebook and YouTube by searching for keeper of the games and of course you can follow us on twitter and instagram at cogpod that's at k-o-g pod we are going to kick off the show by talking about some college basketball obviously the nfl playoffs are upon us we've got a lot to get to as far as the kansas city chiefs are concerned but before we get into that we got to talk about what's going on in the world of college basketball specifically with the wichita state shockers men's basketball program at the time of this recording of course we record this show the evening before we we, we release it, we drop it. So this will be dropping on Thursday morning, Wednesday night. The Shockers played at home inside the roundhouse against Tulsa, and it was a pretty dominating victory for the Shockers. They led wire to wire and got the win. Final score of that game, 72 to 53 against a really solid Tulsa squad. And this is a Golden Hurricane team that beat the Shockers uh, at the very first American Conference game of the season by four, I'm sorry, Wichita State beat Tulsa by four on the road, but still Tulsa, the the defending American Conference champion from last year. So a pretty resounding win for the Shockers inside the roundhouse on Wednesday evening. And we want to break all this down and talk about what's going on with this Wichita Shocker program, Wichita State Shocker program. But Weston, I'll start with you. We're now 11 games into the Wichita State season. They set at a record of eight and three right now. Are you surprised with how well this team is performing right now? You know, yeah, a little bit. I mean, especially just given the circumstances of, you know, COVID coaching change, everything they went through in the offseason. And then, you know, with COVID to have such little time for this group to, you know, find their cohesiveness and, and togetherness. I think from that perspective, I, I am a little surprised that they're playing as well as they are in that. And it's not that they didn't have the talent to be where they're at, just that I thought it would take longer for them to find that groove, you know, and maybe catch a stride down the end of the season into the tournament type of situation, as opposed to they're playing really good basketball right away. And and I think as a Shockers fan, especially with the young talent, boy, you've got to be excited about really this season and the next couple seasons moving forward. Things are looking really good in Wichita. Dexter Dennis had nine points in the win uh, against Tulsa. But Blake, one of the things you told me before we came on the air tonight was how impressed you were with his defensive effort in that game. Well, yeah, I mean, you when you if you listen to the game at all. And by the way, can we give a shout out to Mike Kennedy for being back? He had like a, you know, four trillion game streak broken because he had uh, coronavirus. So Mike was back in the chair tonight for the first time on the radio doing it with Dave Dahl. So it was fantastic to hear him again on the air. Um, but 
a lot of people have looked at Dexter Dennis and seen a guy that they're expecting to do more offensively. And he's been, you know, okay offensively. He's not shooting a great percentage. You want to see him take the next step. He's only shooting 33% from the, from the three, only 36% from the field, uh, you know, only averaging eight points, three rebounds a game. But one thing, and that was part of the reason why I wanted to listen to the post game with coach Isaac Brown tonight. You know, he said, you know, this is what we ask of Dexter every single game. We typically put him on the best player that the other team has. And when you're expending that much energy on the defensive side of the ball, you're not going to, it's very difficult to be your team's best offensive player, best defensive player and guard the team's the opposing team's best player and that's what Dexter Dennis has had to do night in night out I think he's been very consistent with that I think he's been very successful with that so you know the the Dexter Dennis sure he's not averaging double figures and I think that if less was required of him on the defensive end of the floor I think he would score more points I think he could score more points but the fact that he just takes so much load off of the other players, off of Gilbert, off of Etienne, by guarding that standout perimeter. I mean, obviously he's not going to guard a center if they're the best offensive player, but the best non-center, he's got that kind of versatility. He can guard small forwards. He can guard guards as well. Um, I think that that just opens up so many other things for Ricky Council, for Etienne, for Gilbert uh, in on the perimeter. So Dexter Dennis, I think, is is maybe the the unsung hero on this Shocker team and maybe the glue because this Shocker team has played very, very well defensively this year. And I think that that's going to be the consistent thing that's going to keep them at the top of the American Conference standings. They can keep playing good defense. I think they're going to be there, and I think they got a good shot to make the tournament. You know, there was a lot we didn't know about this Shocker team at the time of our our last episode. I mean, that was a month ago uh, since we've been uh, on the air, and th- a lot has happened to this Shocker team since that time. I, I, at the time of our last episode, Wichita State had only played three games, and you know, it, it was well documented their their COVID struggles at the very beginning of the season and, and not being able to play uh, in their opening tournament. But then, you know, they they dropped a game to Missouri, who's now a top twenty five team. They dropped a, a really close game. To to Cade Cunningham and the Oklahoma State Cowboys, who are kind of streaky, but they're a pretty solid program too under Mike Boynton. We, we just didn't know a lot about them. We weren't exactly sure how the Shockers were going to respond, especially once they got into conference play. And I know that, you know, Weston, you and I talked quite a bit about how we had concerns about just the the lack of game uh, experience that these Shockers have had. And not only that, but that Isaac Brown had as the head coach going into conference play. Well, you know, you fast forward a month and the Shockers are five games in to the American Conference season and they're four and one. And their only loss was a, a really close loss against Houston, who's number 11 in the country. They lost by seven points on the road in Houston. So, you know, obviously the, there's there's a lot that we now know about Wichita State. Um, how do you assess where they stand right now in the American Conference? Yeah, frankly, I, that, I think I tweeted this, or no, I don't think I did. I tweeted this after the Houston game. You know, Wichita State, they're showing or have shown now, I think they can play with just about anybody in the country. Now, with that being said, I think we did talk about this a little bit earlier in the season too. Given the you know non-con schedule that they were dealt, 
you know, they, they lost to Mizzou. They lost to Oklahoma State. They've now lost to Houston. So if you're looking at this schedule, you know, there isn't, there's just not a great, I mean, they, they won at Old Miss, uh, but there's just not looking like it's presenting itself, you know, for a, for a marquee win to really propel themselves into this conversation. And, and, and frankly, I, I'm saying that from a perspective of, you know, this team absolutely no, no doubts has the ability to, to, finish second in this conference. You know, frankly, they've they've got the ability to to finish first in the conference if if Houston slips up and, and they've still got Houston on the schedule, so that opportunity still presents itself. But if they don't beat Houston, and let's say they run the table throughout the conference or maybe they lose one more time, you know, is that gonna be enough without having, you know, the American conference putting forth you know, that a, a certain number of high quality teams when your non-con schedule just wasn't able to present, you know, that big win that you need to necessarily get into the tournament. And I don't know, I, you know, I think this is going to be the toughest year for the committee uh, probably that they've ever had in sorting through, you know, what teams deserve to be in and whatnot is a number is a number two team from the American conference. Is that, is that good enough that, that I don't know, but um, you know, I certainly think they've got every bit of ability to, well, you know, frankly, they still have the path to, to win the American, right? Like it's way too early to, to, to not to suggest that that's not the possibility. But I, th- I think they're the second best team in this conference, hands down. Yeah, you know, I, I definitely think that they're on a path where, you know, depending on how the, the the second half of the conference season goes for Wichita State and then, of course, in the American tournament, I think that there's going to be an opportunity if they continue playing the way that they are, that the selection committee come March, they're going to have to seriously consider Wichita State. You know, if, if the season continues at the pace that it's on right now, I think I think that you're you're definitely looking at a team that could very well and should very well be in the NCAA tournament. We, we talked a little bit about the Tulsa game, about how the Shockers led wire to wire. But I want to go back to the game over the weekend. Wichita State played Cincinnati inside the roundhouse. And can we talk about for just a second about how Cincinnati and Wichita State have played seven times over the course of the time since the Shockers joined the American Conference. And in those seven meetings, Wichita State was one and six against Cincinnati. They had dropped the last six games in a row. This was the first time that Wichita State beat Cincinnati in Wichita. And you think about how dominant historically Charles Koch Arena is – it was just for some reason there were whatever that rivalry was or is between Wichita State and Cincinnati. The Shockers had a hard time getting it done inside the roundhouse. Now, I know the argument is going to be, well, Cincinnati is kind of down this year. But at the end of the day, that's a that's a pretty marquee victory, at least morale wise for Isaac Brown and his crew. Uh, and, and I watched quite a bit of that game over the weekend. And I was so impressed by just the athleticism of some of these guys. And, you know, like we talked about Dexter Dennis defensively uh, but you know obviously Morris Udesi has had a couple of really great games I know he scored 20 points in the game against Tulsa on Wednesday night but he he had 18 points against Tulsa Ricky Council the fourth scored 23 points and had six rebounds Tyson Etienne added 16 points and five rebounds it was a very well balanced effort for the Shockers over the weekend uh, Blake for this Shocker team getting a kind of a morale boosting victory against a Cincinnati team that they've had a hard time beating in the past. That's got to mean a lot. 
Oh, absolutely. The uh, It was the first win for the Shockers over Cincinnati at Charles Koch Arena. Just, just to point out and make sure, I don't know if you misspoke or not, but Antoine Carr did lead the Shockers to a win in Wichita over Cincinnati back in 1981. Right. Uh, yeah, since they point, joined the American Conference, right. Yeah. But of course, since that point, at that point, I don't think it was Charles Koch Arena back in 1981 either. So, um, And by the way, going back to Houston, Shockers would have won that game if they make a couple of free throws, how yeah. many front ends of one and one did they miss in a row against Houston? So they probably should have beaten Houston in that game. And, and also in terms of confidence, they should be confident and don't worry. Uh, Weston may be down on your tournament chances, but the American athletic conference as of last week was the number three RPI conference in, in the country, according to real-time RPI. And so, no, there to me, there is no planet, no universe that exists where the Shockers, if they finish in the top four in the American, are not going to the tournament. Because, Weston, your concern is accurate and valid in a normal year. Non-conference schedule matters, who you play, who do you beat. But you have to remember, everybody is going through the same struggles. Unless you're Kansas or Kentucky or one of these teams, Gonzaga, that just gets to play, you know, basically the toughest Michigan State who plays all of these incredible teams – all of these teams, you know, outside of maybe four to 10, are not going to have maybe the level of non conference schedule that they would normally like to have. And I think Wichita State's schedule has been very good. Missouri's been good. Oklahoma State, as Tommy said, a little up and down. We'll get to them more a little bit later when we talk about the Kansas game. But for me, Wichita State, if they continue on their trajectory, and if they certainly if they finish second in the American, they are in. No question. Lock it right now. You cannot keep a top five RPI conferences number two runner-up team out of the tournament. It's not going to happen. And how impressive have this th- this new crop of shockers been? You know, you look at Ricky Council the fourth. You look at Alterite Gilbert. I know that you know for the last couple of years we've talked quite a bit about guys like Tyson Etienne and and Dexter Dennis. But I've been incredibly impressed with especially Ricky Council the fourth offensively. Just watching, his, like I said before, his athleticism uh, during that game. Uh, you know, against Cincinnati over the weekend. Um, I think that especially knowing how much longer Ricky Council has in Isaac Brown's system, or at least in the Wichita State system, I think we're looking at a future star in Wichita, somebody that is going to be remembered long after his tenure is up. Um, just incredibly impressed with this this brand new crop of shockers. Ricky Council is a dog, man. That guy, he he looks like you're just pulling him straight, almost straight out of the N1 mixtape tour. I mean, with some of the highlights he's got. And that reference might be a little too old for some of our listeners. I, I don't I get know. that reference. Okay, I, I appreciate that, that. I grew up on the N1 mixtape tours, even though I couldn't do anything that I was watching on there. Uh, but, man, that boy can play. And I tell you, I do think, I, I you know, Obviously, he's got the skill set to put up the numbers to be someone, like you said, remembered. I think he's going to be a fan favorite just from his, you know, highlight ability, that raw athleticism you just don't see very often. Um, you know, him and, and, and I mean, you got three years left with with him and Tyson Etienne combined. Those, those that firepower is going to be 
incredible to, you know, incredibly hard to stop and so much fun to watch. Uh, you know, I was, I, as I was watching the game tonight, I was thinking, you know, I don't know that there's many better shooters in the country than Tyson Etienne right now. I mean, he's shooting the ball so well. Um, so while I was, you know, I had that thought and I was looking it up, I was surprised he's actually uh, only ranked like seven, 70th in the nation in three-point field goal percentage. Now, granted, there were a handful of guys that had wonky numbers, and I think there was a minimum, but, like, um, you know, there were a couple guys that were shooting, like, 60% that had shot in 15 shots all year. But I'll tell you, I was surprised to see Ochai Agbaji was, was about – 20 spots ahead of him, um, taking about the same amount of shots. And, and we'll get to KU later, but I was just kind of surprised to see that because I don't I don't I don't know if there's a shooter I'd rather have than Tyson Etienne the way he's playing. So I think I kind of steered away from your question, just getting excited about Ricky Council <laughs> and Tyson Etienne. But but I, to your point, no, I mean the the young talent is is incredible in Wichita State, and you you just have to be excited. And I think this is a whole new topic that we probably aren't going to get into today. But I think with where where the program's at with these young players, to me, Isaac Brown is is, is a shoo-in and a lock to, to to keep moving forward with these guys. I, I I think I think it would be a mistake to move away from him. You know, well, not withstanding anything. Fans don't agree with you. They well, will not agree with you. Here's the thing. I'm glad that you brought that up because I I do want to talk about this. Uh, and I mean, I'm, I'm sure we could go an hour on this topic. So right. be, be quite careful stepping into this rabbit hole because <laughs> but there is a, this is a long discussion. I'm sure, though, we'll talk much more about it in the weeks to come. But to at least broach that topic right now, I was very clear about it over the weekend on Twitter. Obviously, we didn't have uh, a show to record last week. But after that win against Cincinnati, I was very, very blunt and clear saying the Shockers should and if they are smart, they will ink Isaac Brown to a long-term contract Right now, I've seen all I need to see 11 games into the season at the time it was 10 games into the season. And I'll tell you why. It's not just the fact that the Shockers, you know, stand at eight and three. It's not just the fact that they're four and one in the American Conference. It's the fact that I I watched him on the on the sideline against Cincinnati when I was watching that game. And I don't know if you guys have had a chance to really pay much attention to him on the sideline. But the way that he coaches these guys up during the course of the game, I haven't seen anything like it in a long time. He's not hes not screaming at them. He's not berating them. Uh, he's literally, I don't even know what you call it because I'm not a coach, but with the hand gestures and the move, I mean, he is coaching up his team in the middle of the game from the sideline. And I can tell that these guys are playing their asses off for Isaac Brown. And they have been for the, the entire season thus far. So yeah, we can absolutely dive into that rabbit hole, you know, and I think it's smart to do so, but I, I want it to be made clear on the record that I am an advocate that Isaac Brown should be made the permanent head coach. Well, and if they, if the shockers finish in the top four and if the shockers make the dance and they don't hire him, I mean, to me, that's insanity. Pure insanity. And I know there were a lot of people. I got into it on Twitter a couple of weeks ago with people like, hey, we need to, we have to capitalize on the positive name recognition. We have to go after a really, really big hire. We have to, you know, use use the brand and and all that to, to really get the right guy. Like, why how do you know that Isaac Brown isn't the right guy? How do you know that? Like you you talked about how big of a name, how how big of a name, by the way, was Greg Marshall when they brought him in? He wasn't. He was not a, a big name. 
Wasn't Roy a big Williams name. going to KU at that point. Some assistant wasn't he like the second assistant in North Carolina? Not yeah. that big of a name. Having a big name doesn't exactly work out. Why don't you ask Michigan football how the big names have been working out up there in the Big Ten? How's that worked out since Lloyd Carr retired? Not so great so far for Michigan football. So a big well, name doesn't necessarily mean anything. And, and frankly, I think there's a difference too. And I was one that, you know, as we talked about the Marshall stuff, I made it very clear. I feel like Wichita State basketball isn't a place that they are, you know, they are bigger than necessarily a coach. Like if Marshall left, and I think he, I always said he was a great coach, Wichita State basketball was going to be fine because the program is, is solid. It's got a solid foundation. But there's a difference between being Wichita State, you know, and being UCLA, Kentucky, Kansas, the Blue Bloods, like when you go get a big name, you're not taking a big name from another, you know, established school. What you can do is go get a big name that isn't currently coaching. And there's a reason they're not currently coaching. I mean, maybe they had a great pass and something just went wrong. It, you know, it was just time, but still they're not coaching for a reason. So, you know, I, I do think there's, you know, in, uh, Obviously, I you all know I'm on record. I was I'm all for and still stand by the Les Miles thing. So that's kind of opposite of what I'm you know preaching for here because that's that hey Les Miles yeah, wasn't coaching for a reason. But it, you know to that point, and I think you know when you've got something that fits, and particularly when you have guys that that you can see yourself moving forward with and really building Wichita State basketball. It's even bigger than it's been with this foundation of young core. That's kind of where we started this conversation, right? With that young core that's there of, of Ricky Council, of Tyson Etienne, you know, and, and some of the other guys, uh, you know, uh, Porter Jr. I'm drawing a blank on his first name. Craig. But Craig. yeah, Craig, that's right. Craig Porter Jr. When, you, when you're building this foundation – why mess with with the coach that they're clearly responding to? Because Hopefully he's okay mo- with his knee injury, by the way. Yeah, Went and they did. The I, I did see a report uh, from I can't remember if it was the guy. It was one of the guys from uh, the Eagle, Taylor Aldridge, I think. Said it looked like he was laughing and stuff on the sideline afterwards with with no ice on his knee or anything. So hopefully he is good. But you know why why would you mess with the coach that they're clearly responding to? Because there is nothing better. And you'll back me up on this, Blake, because this is the argument we've had with KU football that will bring your program success, you know, or continued success and better recruits than winning. Yeah. And so when, when you're winning, you got to keep with that, that formula. And he's also been able to develop guys. I know Tommy wants to talk about the young guys. Let's talk about a veteran. Let's talk about a Morris Udeze. He, has, yeah. he had a career-high 20 points in the win yesterday against Tulsa. 20 career-high points, okay? He has four games scoring a double figures this year. He's only had three his entire career before the Tulsa game. He's a guy that's come on. He's averaging three rebounds a game. He went for 28. He was really good. Six of seven from the field against Tulsa. A guy that Isaac Brown helped to recruit. I mean, do you give if you are not at least willing to consider that Isaac Brown should be given an interview and maybe the last interview for the job? Like, do you give Greg Marshall all the credit? Like, like you don't think the assistant coaches help to recruit at all? You don't think that they help coach and practice? Like, it's literally all Greg Marshall. Yeah, Greg Marshall was a fantastic coach. I think if I had to bet, I think. he's going to get another job some point in his career because of what he did at Wichita State, which was phenomenal. But he gets 100% of the credit? 
please. Isaac Brown is a viable candidate, and he absolutely must get an interview for the head job. Has to. He's recruiting young players. He's developing the players that he has. He was a big part of the success. Greg Marshall didn't do all this on his own. Don't tell me that Isaac Brown had nothing to do with the success that Wichita State had. He deserves an interview. Well, according to to Isaac Brown himself, he is not yet interviewed for the job. Um, according fine. to him, yeah, according to him, and I quote: "I have an interview for the job. I haven't thought much about it. I get asked that question a lot." Here's where he does, has been interviewed for the job yet. But but here's where he does acknowledge that there might be a little bit of an ongoing issue where he says that it, it could word. be it, it has been an issue with recruiting. You know, he no. said, and I quote. Teams that I call kids about, the first thing that their AAU coach said or high school coach is, coach, do you have a long-term contract? And it's something that I don't have. So I think that hurts us in recruiting. I mean, that's that's flat out from Isaac Brown, you know, saying that it, it's going to hurt him a little bit considering that he doesn't have that contract and people are asking about that. Absolutely. And I know that I think Taylor Eldridge was on Twitter the other day and he was getting asked by some shocker fans about, Hey, you know, do you have any recruiting updates? Do you have recruiting? Like what's going on with recruiting for Wichita state shockers, yada, yada, you know, all that stuff that I don't care about, not because of Wichita state, but because I don't care about recruiting. Let me know when they get on campus. (laughs) But you know, Taylor had that piece with uh, Isaac Brown. How's Isaac Brown supposed to recruit right now? He doesn't know. Not only does he not know if he's going to be the head coach, he doesn't know if he's going to be on the, there's no guarantee that, that he's going to be on the staff of the next guy. I'm gu- guessing he probably wouldn't be on the on the staff of the next guy unless Darren Boatwright just came in and said, hey, you have to have IB on your staff. And I don't think that he would do that. So it is a recruiting hindrance. It's a huge recruiting hindrance. And at the Division One level where Wichita State is at, recruiting is a 52 weeks, okay, maybe 51 weeks out of the year. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was 52 weeks. I wouldn't be surprised there were guys in the week between – Christmas and New Year's who are getting called about recruiting. So it does hurt Wichita State. I don't know if it's going to hurt Wichita State to the point where you have to make a decision before the end of the year. Like like you said, he hasn't been interviewed. I'm guessing probably nobody has been interviewed for the job. I'm guessing that Darren Boatwright wants to see how this plays out for Wichita State before he makes a decision. But for me, he has at the very least earned an interview. And at this point, I would be willing to stake him as the favorite to get the job. And he would be number one on if if I'm if I'm running things at Wichita State, he's number one on my list right now as of today. Here's the final thing I'll say on this topic today about Isaac Brown. Um, I found myself. OK, now I, I want to back up here for a second. I've been on the record by saying I was not a Greg Marshall fan. And because of that, I honestly, honest to God, had a hard time cheering for Wichita State. I supported the players. I wanted to see them do well. I just had a hard time cheering for the Shockers when they were when I was watching them. Um, and it was it was solely because I was not a fan of Greg Marshall as a coach. I watched the game. I've watched most of their games this season, but I but watching the game uh, on on Sunday against uh, Cincinnati inside the roundhouse. I found myself cheering for Wichita State in a way that I haven't cheered for them in a long time. And that was refreshing to me as a fan. Now, I know that I'm going to probably hear from people that are saying, well, you're not a true fan if you weren't cheering for them regardless. But knowing the way that these guys have rallied around Isaac Brown, 
all of the uncertainty going into this season. Will Marshall stay? Will he not? What's going to happen? You know, and then of course the the COVID issues. You know, opening the season. There's been a lot of adversity that this team has had to overcome in the first eleven games of the season, and they they set right now at eight and three. They've overcome that adversity, due in large part to Coach Isaac Brown and how he has steadied this program in the midst of a, a, a lot of, of uncertainty over the last couple of months. So that's the final thing I'll say about it. It was refreshing to me to watch a shocker game and really truly feel like, all right, I, I can get behind this now. I'm a big fan of this guy, and I hope that continues. That's the only other thing I want to say about it. I don't, I don't know if you guys have any other points you want to make about Isaac Brown at this point. Well, you I'll, talk I'll just to two players, and Taylor Eldridge has posted this many times. Nobody has bad things to say about Isaac Brown. Talk yeah. to former coworkers, people who've worked with him in the media, former players. Nobody has bad things to say about Isaac Brown. So I think this makes us officially an Isaac Brown podcast. We are a pro yeah. Isaac Brown. All three of us were on board saying, hey, we'd love to see him get hired. Uh, so I, I like that. Uh, the only other thing I'll leave, so I'm going to kind of a final thought as we're transitioning out of Wichita State. Uh, Blake, I, I get your point about our RPI and, and absolutely RPI, you know, especially for conference, you know, is, is a pretty big deal. And I, I wasn't aware of that stat, but according to Ken Palm, Houston is number 10 uh, in Ken Palm. And then there's not another American team until 53, which is SMU. Um, and then 67 Memphis and then Wichita state coming in at 70. Now I'm sure that doesn't take into effect today. But you are looking at the very, very far end of, of your top 64 that are getting in with the bottom of the American. But I, I, I'm with you, though. I, I, I definitely think that uh, in a strong RPI conference, and given that, like you said, you're not going to have a Vermont who got a couple of good quality non-con wins is going to go a long ways. Yeah, and I mean, look, last year, looking at the tournament, Arizona State was 63rd in Ken Palm, and they got in. Uh, USC was 55 in Ken Palm, and they got in. NC State was 50 in Ken Palm. In fact, there were five teams in the 40s that got in in Ken Palm. Um, I'm, I didn't check this. I didn't do that much research for the show. I'm betting that not all of those five won their conference tournament. I'm just guessing that that didn't happen. Yeah. Cincinnati from the American got in at 44 last year in the Ken Palm. So, you know, just because you're outside of that, they're obviously – the higher you are, the better, but I don't, it's not a hard, fast rule that you got to be in that top 50 to get in. Well, the final detail with Wichita State before we move away from the Shockers is that their next game that was scheduled versus SMU will be postponed due to a, co- a positive COVID test uh, on SMU squad. That game was uh, scheduled for this weekend. So the next game for Wichita State will then be on the road at Memphis a week from Thursday, uh, and then they're back at home a week from Sunday against South Florida. So that game against SMU has been postponed uh, for this Sunday. Uh, there has not been a makeup date announced at this time. Let's go ahead and transition into the Kansas Jayhawks. It's been an up and down couple of weeks for the Jayhawks. When we first, you know, when we left the program a month ago, 
the the Jayhawks were in really good shape. They hadn't lost a game since their opener against Gonzaga on Thanksgiving. Well, since that time, they've dropped two games, one of which was a blowout right after the new year uh, against Texas inside Allen Fieldhouse, which we can talk about and dissect here in just a moment. But the most recent loss was on Tuesday evening in Stillwater as Kansas had a valiant comeback attempt in the second half, but ended up falling to the Cowboys. Final score of that game was 75 to 70. So the Jayhawks now stand, uh, you know, with uh, with three losses overall on the season, two losses in the Big 12. Blake, I'll start with you. How do you assess where the Jayhawks are right now? Uh Turns of Oklahoma State, terrible shot selection. So many times the team, you know, as I was listening to that game, team would come down and Brian would barely be able to describe a pass and there would be a shot up. You know, Bill Self has talked so many times in his tenure at KU about getting three side possessions. Get the ball, the ball starts on one side, move it to the other side, get it back to the other side and then look for a shot because you make the defense work you make the defense move that opens up angles for back cuts opens up angles into the post I didn't think that KU did a good job of that at all uh, defensively in the man-to-man you know Bill Self said it after the game KU's man-to-man was horrible against OSU and actually the the first zone defense that they tried was pretty bad as well uh, leave it to Bill Self. Uh, it's still to this day, nobody throws out a junk defense in the middle of a game and has it work like Bill Self. The triangle and two somehow changes the temperature in this game and allows KU to get back into it on what was that a twenty-one to two run at one point in that game? Yeah. Um, you know, but to me, KU is not in sync offensively right now. I think defensively. They were fine. The man-to-man was bad. The man-to-man against Oklahoma State was not good, and and Coach Self was not happy with the the three-two-two-three zone that they ran. Uh, the triangle and two was great against Oklahoma State. Can you finally apply some game pressure? But you know, for me, shot selection is really, really critical for Kansas as a team. They have got to do a better job of running their offense. Most of the time when KU is scoring, they're scoring because they've got good players. The job of the offense is to generate easy shots for good players. KU is scoring now on the basis of its talent and not running its offense. And I think that's something that KU's got to look to get better at as they move forward into the Big 12 schedule. Yeah, going back to uh, that that first game um, of the new year for the Jayhawks, you know they were at home against Texas, and, and let's let's be honest. I want to give Shaka Smart some credit here. He's got a, a fantastic Longhorns team. I don't think we quite knew how good they were at the time until they came into Allen Fieldhouse and absolutely decimated the Jayhawks. They won by 25 points, but it wasn't even that close. I mean, it was more like a 30 to 35 point loss. It was what it felt like inside Allen Fieldhouse. I mean, it was what tied for the worst loss all time As inside you're to that game. You're like, is this happening? Is this a real yeah. thing? Um, and, and I, you know, at that point I'm watching that game and, you know, we've seen the Jayhawks put up a ton of points. We've seen them grind out wins. They beat Texas tech by one on the road. You know, they, they, they played West Virginia, beat them by 14, you know, prior to that, I'm feeling pretty good about this Jayhawks season. And then they just absolutely get demolished at home against Texas. And then you're like, okay, well, 
maybe this team isn't as good as advertised. Then they go on the road and play TCU. Granted, TCU is down this year, but they blow out TCU. So it's just, it's a very streaky team. Uh, I don't exactly even know where, where to put them right now, where, you know, where to even, how to even say what kind of team that they are. Weston, where do you think the Jayhawks are? You know, this this is going to be such an uh, annoying answer for the people who've been listening to us for a while, but I still think this is a team without an identity. Uh, we have gone from player to player to player. We have gone from running offense and it looking good to, like Blake just said, to not running offense and looking bad. We've got We've had moments where we've just had guys show out, even within the midst of not necessarily running an offense, and it work and be fine. We've had all of a sudden we had post play out of David McCormick, you know, uh, but are we, are we trying to get him touches? Are we not? This team needs to figure out who they are and what they want to do. Um, you know, and starting with all bill self teams, you know, he always talks about guarding the basketball and that's not anything special to bill self, but you know, him having a good defense and them playing defense, I think is where this starts. And that's not something that they have to figure out. That's just something that needs to kind of turn on and be at a more consistent level because you know they have the athletes to do it. You've got one of the best defenders in the nation in Marcus Garrett, and you've got, you know, McCormick doesn't really block shots like, you know, Yudoka had or like, you know, if you think back to Withy and some of those other guys, but he's still that big body in the middle. And then Mitch Lightfoot, when he does come in, he actually is, I, I think, a pretty pretty high-end shot blocker. He just doesn't, you know, he doesn't quite play the minutes to really be that defensive presence. Um, but, you know, you just got to have – more consistent and aware defense out of guys like like Ochai, you know, some of the young guys like Jalen Wilson. Um, they've got all the athletic ability in the world, so doing it on a consistent level. It, it, and often, you know, I, I think in the, back to the Oklahoma State game, just felt times where there were guys lost out there. You know, you did need to scramble at times. You're throwing bodies at Cade Cunningham. You're trying to help Marcus Garrett. And they just kind of looked lost out there at times of where where – where should I be scrambling to or because you surely hope it's not a, just a lack of motivation or effort to go scramble to that next guy just kind of feeling like they're lost on defense. So, you know, I think it starts on the defensive end and then still kind of sorting through those games when when they're not necessarily be having consistent scoring from from one guy or or you're go, you're seeing these streaky performances like I think Christian Brown is being a great example. When he's hot, KU's not going to lose a game because when he's hot, he's an incredible player. And put, you know, he just shoots like maybe nobody else in the country, I mean, like that Tyson Etienne level that I was talking about. But boy, he has games where he's just off, right? And you can't, so you can't rely on on him. You know, you had Jalen Wilson. You know, he's kind of been consistent, but he doesn't seem to be the guy that. Boy, you know, we're in a stretch right here take this over, man. Like you're, you're not quite seeing that out of him. Ochai has been consistent. And I know you've been advocating for this kind of being his team and, and, and maybe, I mean, maybe it is, but he still just kind of shrinks into the background sometimes. And, and you don't feel like he just kind of aggressively takes a hold of the situation and, and says, I'm going to do this, but boy, I mean, maybe more so than anybody, uh, you know, he has kind of stepped up and made some big shots. Well, so I, that's where I think they're at right now. I mean, look, if you want to give this team to somebody and you kind of have to, you kind of have to give it to Ochai. Yeah, yeah, and, and here, right here's now. the thing. 
This is not, and I hate saying this because I don't want it to be this way. This is not Marcus Garrett's team. Marcus Garrett may be the senior, but Marcus Garrett is not the leader of this team. I like Marcus Garrett. I've always loved his effort defensively, but he lacks, in my opinion right now, he lacks that kind of take the game over, lead the team. He'll be the guy down the stretch that you need to have. That's just... That's not his identity, I don't think. I mean, he did it against Oklahoma State, though. He had 12 points. Most of those came in. He was huge in that run. He went 6 for 12. If Marcus Garrett is not around, KU doesn't make that 21-2 run to get back in the game at, at Oklahoma State. Yeah, but what it, did he do? But what did he do at the very end of the game? He attempted a three-pointer, which is not his shot. That's not what Marcus Garrett does. You get the ball to somebody who can shoot a three to try to tie that game. You don't take that shot yourself if I, that's not your shot. And that's not Marcus Garrett's shot. He's a 36% three-point shooter. So I don't know if I would say it's not his shot. Now, were there better options on that play? I won't say that there weren't, but I I can't say that it's not his shot. Looking at their identity, maybe they need to go – if David McCormick can continue playing the way that he has been playing here recently, he went for 24 and 12. He was a beast against Oklahoma State. Three blocks in that game. So if if he can be more – I guess demonstrative if and if guys can get him the ball in good spots maybe he can be you know give the guys a little bit more of an identity so that they kind of know okay this is a guy that we can that we can throw the ball to who we know is and he hasn't been that through the first half of the year he wasn't but you know since the Tarleton State game which was canceled he scored a double figures four times and he's now scored a double figures three games with for 20 at TCU 17 against Oklahoma and you know, obviously 24 which might be a career high uh no four off of a career high at 20 against Kansas City 24 points against uh, against Oklahoma State. So maybe McCormick can be that guy. Maybe he's coming around one rebound shy of a, of a career high. Uh, I think that he – and also, by the way, I got to call out Tristan Anaruna as well. He was yeah. huge defensively in the second half for Kansas. Plus 10 in the game, four points and a rebound. And there were so many hands and passes that he got deflections on in that game. So he was big. Uh, so defensively, it was weird for Kansas because uh, some some of the guys that are normally in the game for them, they weren't a big part of that run. It was Marcus wow. Garrett, Tristan Anaruna playing defense, and David McCormick who was helping to lead KU back. And thank goodness that David <clears throat> McCormick has, has started to come around a little bit. I mean, we've been talking about that and waiting for that for, for quite a while now. He's looking a lot more composed. He's looking a lot more comfortable. He's looking a lot more confident, you know, especially that game, you know, against Oklahoma State. He, you could tell by looking at him that he knew when he got the ball that he was going to make a shot. He just knew that that was the way it was going to be. He didn't look sped up. He, he didn't look like he was getting ahead of himself. And, and so definitely good to see that. Hopefully that continues. But yeah, I mean, to your point, Blake, there are players that we've seen and, you know, like Weston said, kind of show out a little bit in various games throughout the season. Jalen Wilson comes to mind. Christian Brown comes to mind. Those guys all but disappeared in that Oklahoma State game and to an extent in the Oklahoma game last weekend as well. By the way, let me just say Kansas beat the Sooners at home by four points. In my opinion, 
The Jayhawks don't win that game if Brady Manick does a, is playing for the Sooners. If he's in the starting lineup playing, the Sooners win that game. You know, and so that was definitely a benefit for Kansas. But at the end of the day, they they need a lot more consistency. That's the biggest thing. They need consistency from their playmakers. And I'm looking at guys like Jalen Wilson and Christian Brown. Thank God that Ochai Abaji has been relatively consistent over the last several weeks or so. Yeah, you Oklahoma know, State and the fast break. Did you see the fast breaks in that game? Yeah. It was 37-8 Cowboys. 37-8. And that's something Bill Self said after the game. He said, transitional defense, they have to be better. KU must be better in transitional defense. You cannot give up 37 fast break points. I don't know if all the games that I've called for Newman this year, I don't think a single game has had 37 fast break points with both teams combined. And OSU did that to Kansas. Kansas was almost OSU's best offense. And it's, it, when you're Kansas, that should never happen because, oh, right. in my, in my opinion, when when you get killed in transition points, some t- I mean that's either just a complete misunderstanding of 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 you know picking up a man, or you're just getting out. You know, you just don't have the athletes to compete with a certain team, and that that should never be an issue for Kansas. But you know, another thing that that really got. The Oklahoma State loss doesn't worry me as much. You know, they they were uh, Oklahoma State was two hundred and thirty fourth in three point shooting coming into that game, and they shot forty three percent last night. So, and granted that you know to some degree that you that can factor into Kansas playing defense, but you know that's also catching a little bit of heat, you know, unexpectedly from a from a team that hadn't shot well all season. And, but and Cam well, probably bet- still wins that game if likely doesn't hit that shot from the corner, which I mean, he's hit a few threes. I'm not worried. I'm not going to sleep at night worrying about Isaac likely if I'm, you know, Bill Self. And if he misses that shot, KU probably still wins the game. Well, I'm not either, but at the same time, you know, Weston, you mentioned the, you know, where Oklahoma State was ranked as far as three-point shooting is concerned. I love Bill Self. He's a Hall of Fame coach. I've said it before. Far be it from me to second guess anything Bill Self does. But I would say that one of the one of maybe one of the small knocks on him in his Hall of Fame career is that he doesn't always coach his players to defend the perimeter incredibly well. And so I feel like, especially if you if you follow a lot of KU Twitter, you always see you know the the KU blogs or whatever they're always like here comes another team that's going to have a a crazy three-point fluky shooting night okay well maybe KU is just not defending the three-point line like they should be and it's going to allow these teams you know uh, the enough space that will make a mediocre three-point shooting team at least a decent or a good three-point shooting team when they play Kansas so that might be something that is it could be an Achilles heel for the Jayhawks moving forward. Again, not trying to knock Bill Self, but that could be something to take a look at. You know, I think th- I think that's an uh, you know kind of a I don't know wonky stat. Maybe this is me not you know playing basketball at the collegiate level or at a higher level to maybe have a better understanding. But I think when it comes to defending the perimeter, I-, I just have never been able to wrap my brain around how you coach that any better than, than, you know, having athletes that, that approach and get a hand in the face. I mean, I, I mean, I, I get that everybody talks about it, so I'm not saying it's not real. I've just never been able to wrap my brain around how you go about coaching the, you know, that up any better. I, I don't know. 
I, I mean, mean, maybe maybe you close out a little bit better. Maybe you don't help off uh, of, uh, you know, someone that is a, a pretty solid three point shooter. I mean, again, I'm not a coach, but those are maybe some things that you could do. Blake, you were going to say, well, the KU is 147th and three point percentage defense in the country out of, you know, I think it's like 300 plus that are or 250. What well, does, doesn't matter. They're, they're an average team. The thing that they do a fairly good job of most of the time is percentage of three pointers allowed. They allow a lower percentage of three point shots. They force teams into the mid range. They make teams take mid range shots. Obviously you would like to have teams, either take shots that are in the mid-range and not close where they're easier typically or far away where they're worth more points. You want them to be in the middle typically. And, you know, this season KU is ranked pretty low at percentage of shots allowed that are three-pointers versus the average opponent. They allow 39% of the opponent's shots to be from the three-point line. That's 252nd in the country. So that's not great for Kansas. So, uh, you know, that's something that I think maybe KU does need to look at. So getting back to Weston's point, that's that's there are ways defensively to try to funnel guys to, you know, force shots that are in that middle range. And maybe KU is not doing a good job of that. It doesn't help you on transition defense. Doesn't matter what the percentage is. If you get up 37 points on the fast break, your defense yeah. on the fast break is probably the worst defense that you're going to play. Transition offense is probably the most high efficiency offense that somebody can run. So if you're going to give up 37 points in fast break, it doesn't matter how much you defend the three. KU was trash against the transition. And that was mainly due to the Oklahoma, the KU offense, by the way, just basically passing it to Oklahoma State. Well, Kansas is in second place in the Big 12 right now behind Baylor and Texas, who are both tied uh, with a conference record of 4-0. They're undefeated. The Jayhawks are 4-2, 10-3 overall. Uh, their next game, if you're looking for a, a great way to reset, the Jayhawks have a great opportunity back at home on Saturday against an abysmal Iowa State Cyclones team. Oof. With a coach in Steve Prom, who is probably on his way out of Ames, would be my guess. Uh, but the, the Jayhawks play Iowa State Saturday afternoon uh, inside Allen Fieldhouse. A, a great way to bounce back. And I would, I would not be surprised to see Bill Self have his team ready to go against <laughs> Iowa State Saturday, especially after that, uh, that loss on the road. Well, they better because um, coming up next – down to Waco, Texas against a real good Baylor team. So you better pick up that win while you can, because otherwise, you know, this isn't a Kansas team that I just look at and say, ah, you know, there were a lot of Roy William teams, last year's KU team, um, you know, Perry Ellis teams that you thought, you know what, they're going to figure it out on the road. I don't yeah. know about this team. I'm not sure. So you might be looking at three losses in this in a row in the face if you lose against Iowa State. Yep, absolutely. So that's going to be the next uh, game out for the Jayhawks this weekend. Transitioning into the Kansas State Wildcats, and speaking of Iowa State, the Wildcats game against the Cyclones that was scheduled for Wednesday night, that's been postponed due to COVID-19. The next game up for the Wildcats, they're on the road this weekend in Austin, taking on the Texas Longhorns. Ugh. That's going to be a huge battle for Bruce Weber's team. And speaking of Bruce Weber, I thought it would be good here on the program to hear from Bruce himself as he talks about what the team has gone through as it relates to COVID-19. I, I thought it was, uh, I thought for our circumstances, I would have 
I would have uh, uh, not played it. I would have been all right with it. But again, uh, you you got to do what the league says. You got to do what the rules say, and, um, and that's why you know. Hopefully, that's why I've been able to stay in the business, do things right, and do what uh, your boss says, do what the league says, and um, you know that's uh, that's all you can. That's all you can do. That's all. That's I rate. My dad raised me that way. My mom, and uh, maybe sometimes I'm too much of a company man. I probably should have. Probably should have fought a little more, but hopefully it'll help us in the long run. That's Bruce Weber talking about uh, the game over the weekend as the Wildcats were uh, blown out by Oklahoma State at home inside Bramlage by 16. And, you know, all the, the COVID issues and the injury issues, uh, the Wildcats were were down. I believe they only had eight eligible players, I want to say, yeah, uh, for that game. Eight. Seven or eight. So they were they were heavily shorthanded. So not making fun of that uh, one bit at all. But I just thought it would be good to hear from Bruce Weber uh, here on this program as it's been a really, really tough season for the Wildcats. They stand uh, overall right now with a four and seven record. They're one and four in the Big 12. And like I mentioned, their next game is on the road against the number four ranked Texas Longhorns. Weston, is there any salvaging this season for the Wildcats? You know, I was just getting ready to ask you guys, you know, do, do you think there's another team in the Big 12 that they can beat other than, you know, catching Iowa State again? I'm not sure that they get another win in the Big 12. I mean, I know it's basketball and that you can kind of always, you know, have a hot night or catch a team on a cold night, but I, I'm just not I'm not seeing it. And as much as I, you know, I think I corrected myself. I think I said that you and I were, you know, we had liked uh, Bruce Weber and you were quick to say, no, nah, I don't, that, that's not me. I kind of, you know, was like, <laughs> look, I, I think he's, I think he's been fine. Uh, between, I, I, it, I think it's, it may be time that this, this uh, is much of a Wait, company what, man. Hold on. What did you, what'd you say about Bruce Weber? You think he's been fine? Is that what you said? Well, not this season, but I, up to this point. <laughs> wow. No, that's not a correct take. You you only play that horn when the curtain <laughs> of the take is amazing. That's a terrible take. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. So I mean, he did just come off uh, a couple of years ago. You know, ending the KU streak. He had back to back twenty five uh, win seasons. That, that's right. But you can't. What well, I told, I, I did say as soon as he lost four days. Okay, <laughs> doesn't matter who you are. You'll lose to a D two that puts you on the hot seat, and things have not gotten better from here. So I. Boy. They could be TCU. They absolutely could be Texas Christian. Um, other than that, I mean, that, that's the win that I see on the schedule <laughs> I, for Kansas I like, State. I like, that, I like that you say they could. You're not predicting that they're no. going to. Like, oh, no, they, I not. mean, they could. They have the, you know, they could. They could be Texas Christian. I could even, you know, I'll be generous and say they could beat Oklahoma. They could beat Oklahoma. I think they, they could beat Oklahoma State. Those are the three games. I don't like them at West Virginia. Certainly don't like them. At, and you know what? If KU gets into an immature rut, I mean, you know they're going to show up and play their best against oh, yeah. KU at Bramlage. That's going to happen. So that's another game, I think. But I, I don't like them against Baylor. Uh, I, look at this schedule they got coming up. At Texas, at Oklahoma, West Virginia and Bramlage, then they go to Waco, Texas A&M in the Big 12 SEC Challenge, and then Sunflower Showdown at Allen Fieldhouse on February 2nd. Then on the 4th of February, they're playing Texas Tech, and then they get Texas again. That's yeah. that's rough. That's a rough you know, three weeks of schedule for Kansas State, a team that's lost four consecutive Big 12 games, and what, two of them by 
three of them by double yeah three of them by double figures including getting annihilated by Baylor by 31 giving up 100 to the Bears so they are not playing well right now at all and this Iowa State you know departure losing this game on the schedule for them brutal absolutely brutal would have been great for them to try to get some confidence back going to texas and now they got to show up to the frank Irwin center to play a texas team that just routed kansas you know less than two weeks ago i don't like my chances if i'm a, a purple fan right now don't like it yeah you know the only win that the wildcats have in the big 12 this season is a nine point win on the road against iowa state so um if i'm if i'm bruce weber i'm lobbying hard to get that game against iowa state rescheduled that way they have an opportunity to get another big 12 win under their belts but as it stands right now it's tough uh in manhattan um you know it'll be interesting and it'll be a, a discussion for another time as far as what happens to bruce weber at the end of this season um weston you and i have said it before that this recruiting class for the Wildcats, this class it's in right now, and Bruce Weber are inexplicably tied together and and will be. Uh, and so, I, you know, again, a discussion for another time, uh, but it's not looking good right now for the Wildcats, and it hasn't for some time. So, again, their next game will be this Saturday on the road in Austin, taking on the fourth-ranked Texas Longhorns. And uh, we'll tell you what the final score of that game is on our next episode. That is our College Hoops Roundup here on Keeper of the Games. Let's get into our Kansas City Chiefs preview. Now, of course, the NFL playoffs are officially underway. Super Wild Card Weekend is in the books. I don't know about you guys, but I watched every single game on Saturday and Sunday. Um, I don't think my wife was very happy with me, but I made it (laughs) up. I made it a point to check out every single game. Um, I love the fact that it was triple headers uh, on on both days. But uh, So now we get into the divisional round, and we know who the Chiefs opponent will be. It'll be the Cleveland Browns, who they're in the playoffs for the first time in 18 years, and they uh, had a great game on Sunday against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Browns move on to the divisional round. They will go to Arrowhead Stadium this Sunday at 2 p.m., Let's let's break this down. Weston, I'll start with you. Your thoughts on what the Chiefs have coming up on Sunday against Cleveland. Yeah, you uh, kind of poked some fun at me on Twitter when I had this take, but I truly think that the Cleveland Browns are the worst matchup for the Chiefs of the remaining teams in the playoffs. And I'm I'm not backing down. Not backing down from this one for a second. I don't think that they're the most talented team left in the playoffs by any means, but I think there are two things that you have to do. You absolutely have to do to beat the Chiefs. I think you have to rush the passer with only your front four, and then I think you have to be able to run the ball effectively and keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. I think the Browns do those two things better than any of the teams left in the playoffs. I think Miles Garrett is if not outside of Aaron Donald is one of the most premier pass rushers in the league can absolutely get to get to Patrick Mahomes, especially when you're looking at a matchup with potentially Mitchell Swartz, not out. He wasn't on the practice field today. So I'm concerned about that and concerned that we have not heard really more news about his injury over the last few weeks. Um, So that I think that's really concerning. And then on the flip side, there's no, there might not be a better running tandem. Now, I mean, maybe you put Derrick Henry and, and maybe one or two others in front of Nick Chubb, but I think even that's arguable. Nick Chubb has been one of the best, if not the best running backs in the NFL. And then you pair him with 
old fan, uh, old favorite here in Kansas City, Kareem Hunt, who had some very interesting uh, words after the Cleveland game about uh, coming back to Kansas City and playing. So I, I just think those two things present a a more difficult matchup for the Chiefs than any any what any of the other teams can provide. Not to say that other teams don't have more talent, can't throw the ball better, you know, just overall are better teams. I just think what the Cleveland Browns bring to the football field attack what the Chiefs weaknesses are. Not not totally a, a hot take there, Tommy, actually. You look at the Chiefs defensively, Chiefs are the 31st ranked rush defense in the league, and they're only 16th against the pass. Baker Mayfield has been a very competent passer this year, and Cleveland, as he said, is a fairly good rushing team. So if the Browns can you know, continue to convert on third downs, stay ahead of the chains, I do think that they have the opportunity to control the clock in this game and keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. The problem that Cleveland is going to have is they have not dealt with speed very well this year defensively. You look at the Baltimore games. You know, I don't know if there's anybody faster than Tyree Kill in the NFL, but Lamar On Jackson is a very maybe yeah in the known <laughs> universe. Um, but but Lamar Jackson is very fast, and in that second game, it. Baltimore scored, beat Cleveland 38-6 early on. They outscored Cleveland 47-42 when they played in December. And Lamar Jackson ran the ball nine times, 124 yards, two touchdowns, average 13.8. So that probably is going to mean zone coverage because I don't think Cleveland has anybody in the secondary that's going to be able to keep up with Tyree Kill. So you either play man-to-man, Tyree Kill runs by you, or you play your zone defense and that opens up the middle for the best tight end in the game, Travis Kelsey, because Kelsey has been outstanding this year, new tight end record. And not only that, but the Browns in defending opposing tight ends are 28th in the country, 28th in the league in defending the tight end. So they've been terrible against tight ends. So that's a weakness that Kansas City will expose. I don't think that they're going to allow Hill to get deep. I think that they're going to keep Hill in front of them. It's what my guess is for Cleveland. So I think if I'm a fantasy person, I don't even know if fantasy is still going on. Maybe the playoffs are over. But if I was doing the daily fantasy, I am guessing that Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, who's had five 100-plus yard receiving games this year, I am guessing that they are going to go crazy on the Browns defense just because they're going to be pulling so many guys back to keep the receivers in front. I think Kelsey is going to absolutely annihilate the center because Cleveland does not have anybody in the linebacking core that can guard Travis Kelsey. I do want to to uh, clarify one thing that you mentioned, Weston. Uh, Andy Reid says Mitchell Schwartz will not play against the Browns oh, um, and that he is uncertain <laughs> – <laughs> he's uncertain about about future games he's not sure you if Mitchell Schwartz, yeah oh, uh that, that he won't be back there, there's a chance he could not be back for the entire postseason run for kansas city here's my here's my point uh and, and i want to go back to what you were saying weston about you know your your take about how the browns are the the toughest matchup for for kansas city um and, and my disagreeing with you on that look the browns are tough the browns are a good football team you have to be a good football team to be in the playoffs, unless I guess maybe you're 
Washington. Um, but that's a that's a totally that's a that's a different story altogether. You have to be a you have to be a good team, and every team poses a tough matchup here on out. My point, my counter is that yeah. You know what? The Browns can can rush their front four and they're pretty powerful. They've got a pretty solid run game. I'm not disputing any of of your any of the the points that you make about why the Browns are a tough matchup for Kansas City. My point though is that if you're going to keep up with the potent offense that Kansas City has and that more than likely we will see uh in the playoffs, you need to be able to to match that or at least try to match that as best as you can. If Cleveland, and I'm not suggesting this is going to happen, but if Cleveland gets down by three touchdowns, I'm sorry, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are not going to factor into the offense for Cleveland much at all. You're going to have to rely on Baker Mayfield throwing the football to guys like Jarvis Landry and you know Rashad Higgins and some of those other guys that he has out there. And they're they're good, but they're not great. It's that their their offense goes through their running game and Nick Chubb especially. So I would rather face off against a team like Cleveland than I would against a team like Buffalo, where you've got Josh Allen who can sling the football all around the field and can, I think in, can has a better opportunity to keep up a little bit with the high octane offense that Kansas city is going to put out there throughout the rest of the playoffs. So uh, again, I, I think Cleveland is a tough matchup. I'm just not, I'm not convinced that they are the toughest matchup that Kansas city could potentially have throughout their playoff run. That that's my only point. Well, and here's my here's my thought process on, the, and maybe this is in part me being a fanboy and not really an objective, you know, analyst of, of these matchups too. But you, I, I no. yeah, me right. I truly think we're at a point with the Chiefs' offense, and particularly with Patrick Mahomes, I, I don't think that's an option for teams to beat Kansas City. If you if you are going to try to keep up with the Chiefs' offense. I don't think there is a single offense in the NFL or a team in the NFL that can do it. I just don't think they can. So that's why I guess I say I think the only way to beat the Chiefs is to keep Patrick Mahomes off the field by running the ball, controlling that clock, and then potentially being able to, you know, because like Blake said, they have to sit in zone, especially that Denzel Ward out with COVID uh, last week. And and frankly, I'm not sure. I don't even know if they release this. I don't know. He should be back. And also Kevin Johnson, who's the nickelback. They're both expected to be back. But obviously, I mean, as people watch this, it's it's only Thursday. So there's, you know, a lot could happen. And I guess that's my question. Do we know that they were COVID positive and not within the just within the contact tracing bubble? And I guess that's why uh, I was asking. Reserve listed. Right. I, so we don't, don't know, right? Don't know if they were positive or, you know, they were on the COVID reserve list. Right. You know, that, which doesn't necessarily mean you're positive. Doesn't necessarily mean you're negative either. Right. Well, and I, and I guess, and maybe, I mean, that could be such a minor detail here, but I mean, if he really was sick and out and not being able to, you know, you know, at least work out and do those kind of things. Well, you know, that's just going to make it even tougher for him to to come out there and try to guard Tyree kill. Now, granted, obviously if he was just contact tracing, he, you know, he was doing everything he needed to do, then not as big a deal, but Denzel Ward, a very, very good corner, not someone that's as fast as Tyree kill, but that makes a big difference. If you can run Denzel Ward out there and try attempt to do a little man coverage, with maybe a safety over the top, but you certainly expect them, like you said, to play a lot of zone. So I, I think that the game plan will certainly be, 
let's run, run, run the football, take our time on offense. And then on the flip side, we're going to play zone. And yes, Patrick Mahomes is going to carve us up with, with Travis Kelsey, but let's let him do that in five yards, six yards, seven yard, eight yard clips and not let that big play go and just try to basically wind this game down to a last possession type of deal. And I think they're more equipped to do that than any other team. I just don't think you can, you can give me Josh Allen. You can give me Aaron Rodgers in, in, in the green Bay Packers. I don't think there is an offense that if it comes down to solely just keeping up, that can do it. I just don't. But here, but here's the thing. And then I want to point this out. We all know how great, Andy Reid is after a bye week, right? Yep, like that that's true. been that's been demonstrated forever about how how outstanding his teams perform coming out of a bye week. I want to draw your attention to this. In the last 2 years, so the 2019 season and the 2020 season, here are the number of points that Kansas City has put up after a bye week. It's happened 4 times. So first off in 2019, the Chiefs played the Raiders, they put up 40 points. In 2019, going into the first round of the playoffs, we all know about that big comeback against the Texans. The Chiefs put up 51 points in the divisional round last year. That was coming off of a bye week. Going into the Super Bowl, of course, we all know the Super Bowl game against the 49ers. Kansas City put up 30. They put up 31 points in that game. And then coming off of the bye week in 2020, the Chiefs put up 35 points. We're talking about 40, 51, 31, 35. You have to have a, a guy like a Josh Allen or an Aaron Rodgers to try to keep up with that. A Nick Chubb, it, I mean, yeah, like he's going to run a lot, but you're going to have to be able to throw the football. I'm not suggesting that these guys are going to be able to keep up with them, but you have to at least try. And that's why I'm not overly concerned about what Cleveland's going to throw at them. The Chiefs are uh, five and two with Andy Reid. In the playoffs after a bye, 18 and three in the regular season. So, you know, you had that up at 23 and five coming off of a bye week for for Andy Reid. To Weston's point, if the Browns can get pressure with just rushing four on Patrick Mahomes, if they can do that, the Chiefs, one of the Chiefs' weaknesses offensively has been penalties. They had 105 in the regular season. That was the fourth most in the league. And they were second in the league. They had 21 offensive holding penalties. And that, that cost the Chiefs over 300 yards in penalties just on offensive holding. And there were several close games where Kansas City, you know, it was the Chiefs holding penalties that kept the defenses in the game. So if the Chiefs offensive line has a bad game, you know, maybe that's a problem for Kansas City, going back to what Weston said earlier. Um, but as you said, Tommy, the Andy Reid line, if you're going to bet that spread coming off of a bye week, Andy Reid doesn't cost you money very much coming off of a buy unless you're taking the under on the over-under for the Chiefs. In that case, he's probably cost you a lot of money over the years because the Chiefs offense has been ready to go coming off of bye weeks. And I I know you didn't check. I mean, I feel like the defense, just anecdotally thinking back, it feels like the defense plays well enough in those games. You know, I, I just think that Andy Reid... He knows how to get. He knows how to use the bye week to prepare. And the Chiefs have always been in the Andy Reid era in Kansas City. They have been ready to play coming off of bye weeks and in the postseason. 
And here's the other point that I want to make. You better believe that Andy Reid watched the Steelers-Browns game over the weekend. And you know that the Steelers overlooked Cleveland. They absolutely did. Juju Smith-Schuster is on record saying the Browns are just the Browns. They're a bunch of guys. (laughs) It's no big deal. They are who we think they are. And then they were pretty much embarrassed by Cleveland in the wild card round. So you better believe – you better believe that Andy Reid watched that and is going to do everything in his power to not do what Mike Tomlin and the Steelers did against the Browns, and that is overlook them, shoot themselves in the foot with stupid mistakes, the shotgun snap over Ben Roethlisberger's head the very first snap of the game, you know, and, and penalties. Those are the things that Andy Reid watched and said, if we do that, the Browns can easily jump out ahead. Now, the other point, the other thing I want to say is that you know, uh, Cleveland jumped out to a huge lead against Pittsburgh on Sunday and Pittsburgh tried to come back, but we have proof from last year's playoff run that the chiefs can overcome just about anything. So even if Cleveland does jump out to a big lead, Kansas city historically has been able to overcome that where other teams can't. So and they again, did it at the end of the rest, this regular season, all those close right. games, they could have lost a lot right. of them and they didn't. Right. So at the end of the day, I'm not overlooking the the Browns. I think they're a good football team. I think that they've got, you know, a, a great front four. I think they've got a great running game. I think Baker Mayfield is a good quarterback. I don't think he's a great quarterback, but I think he's a good quarterback. But at the end of the day, I don't, again, I just don't think they're the toughest matchup that the Chiefs will have this postseason. And I think that if the Chiefs, like to your point, Blake, if they don't shoot themselves in the foot, if they don't make those mistakes, they should be able to get out of Arrowhead with a win. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't disagree with that. Um, you know, I, I do want to – so I want to ask a, a quick a little food for thought here. And this is just my wheels spinning, so I'm, I'm curious what you guys think. But do you think Andy Reid out of the bye, though, when you're looking at a bye, giving him two weeks to prep for a, for a particular team's defense, as opposed to here, you only have one week to prep for that defense. Now, granted, I mean, you can bet that, you know, obviously they – were narrowed down to essentially three teams that they could have played. So they've probably been prepping for all three. And then obviously on, you know, Sunday switched and started prepping to to Browns exclusively. But I think that's something to keep in mind. But, and actually I said, I was asking you guys, but I I don't care about your guys' thoughts. I want to get your thoughts on something else. Wow. Because here, I I know we're, we're already looking at like an hour and 10 on this podcast. So I'd rather go back to this. Did you guys catch Kareem Hunt made, the comment after the game that going back to Kansas City said it's personal. I mean, what what is he thinking making a comment like that when we don't even need to touch or rehash on the absurdity and stupidity that got that man cut from the Kansas City Chiefs roster? And for him to even make that comment to me is going to do nothing more than probably rile up a few of those guys that he was close with who probably felt pretty betrayed by his actions to, to make them go through the rest of that season without their starting running back because of such absurdity. Oh, I, I mean, that's, I, I just, I, I'll, I'll kick it over to you guys. Cause I could not believe he made that comment. I mean, yeah. Okay. That's not the, the smartest comment to make, but I'm happy for Kareem. I'm happy that he found a landing spot in Cleveland. I'm happy that the Browns took another chance on him. I'm happy that he's doing well there. He's clearly, I don't, I don't want to say he's got his life together because I don't know, but you know, he's clearly kept himself out of 
enough trouble to get cut from the team, I would suppose. And you know what? He's he's found himself to be a serviceable backup running back to Nick Chubb. You know, he was the star in Kansas City when he was there as far as the running back, you know, was concerned. And it could very well still be that guy in Kansas City if he hadn't have made those those stupid decisions. So, you know what? More power to him. He can say that. That's fine. I'm happy for the guy. I'm glad he's doing well in Cleveland, but really doesn't matter that much to me. I just, no, I just, feel, I just, I just hope Anthony Hitchens personally welcomes him back uh, to Arrowhead Stadium on on Sunday, and then and then he can go ahead and make whatever comments he wants to make. <laughs> Fair enough. So let's very quickly get into predictions uh, for this game uh, on Sunday, the divisional round against the Browns. Weston, I'll start with you. Final score of the game: twenty four twenty, Kansas City. All right, low scoring game then for the Chiefs. Uh, getting. Uh, <laughs> Lowest uh, I've predicted all year. <laughs> I know for sure. Blake, how about you? I think it's going to be a little higher scoring game. I see this game with both teams in the 30s. I don't think the Chiefs will play tremendously well defensively in this game. Chiefs plus seven. Chiefs plus seven in this game. Win by seven. Yeah. You know, I just I just don't think that uh, the Browns are going to be able to keep it that close. I really honestly don't. I think they're a good football team, but I think that we obviously we've talked all about Andy Reid after a bye and what this offense can do. I'm going to say uh, final score 38-21. Chiefs win by 17 against My the Browns. My guess is that the Chiefs are going to score first and it'll be close for a while, but the Chiefs will go up by 7. They're going to get a stop and go up by 14 and Cleveland's going to be chasing that touchdown and so the Chiefs are going to bounce between plus 7 plus 14 and Cleveland's just going to run out of time Chiefs get the ball back and run out the clock instead of getting another score I just don't I think the Chiefs will be up by two scores in this game um I don't think Cleveland's going to going to um I don't think they're going to come down here and just roll over though I think they're going to be ready to play well, we'll see how it all pans out uh, this weekend as the Chiefs are at home at Arrowhead Stadium against the Cleveland Browns. Before we move away from the Kansas City Chiefs, we would be remiss to not talk about Eric Bieniemy as the head coaching carousel continues to swirl all around the National Football League with the multiple openings that are you know all around the league right now. But as it stands, as of now, Eric Bieniemy has not been offered a job. I believe he's interviewed with pretty much every team, if not every team, that has an opening right now. But he is not yet been offered a job and there now is speculation that potentially Eric Bieniemy could find himself without a head coaching job again after this cycle wraps up. This is ESPN's Dan Graziano. Uh, he was on the ESPN radio morning show with Keyshawn Johnson talking about what he's been hearing from NFL sources. The more this goes on, the more there's sort of this rumbling going on around the league that maybe uh, he might get shut out again because he's not seeming to show up as a finalist in many of these plays but a lot of these things can still change you know we don't know what's going to happen in Jacksonville with Urban Meyer and when if he doesn't end up there what that changes for them so uh it's still a little bit early in the process even well, though wait, I would expect things Dan, to move pretty soon Dan, yeah did, did, did I just hear you say he may get shut out again yeah. again this is sort of the you know when you when you make these calls and you talk to people associated with this this has kind of been the the vibe that's emerged this week that maybe uh, the teams are looking in other directions. But and I know that would be shocking and upsetting to a lot of people if he didn't get a job this cycle. And, and it's entirely possible, of course, that he will. But, you know, look, I mean, the, the Jets are starting to bring people in for second interviews, right? They got Robert Sala coming in uh, in person who interviewed uh, via uh, video chat earlier, like a lot of people. The teams are moving to the second part of this 
uh, and you, you can't hire him right now, right? <laughs> so if you're seeing teams move ahead with other candidates, uh, it indicates that he may not be on their list of finalists. So, again, not to panic if you're a fan and an advocate of Eric Bieniemy getting a job, but I don't know that it's the sure thing it felt like a couple of weeks ago. You know, Eric Bieniemy is a guy that just, you know, I mean, all season long, that's been the topic of conversation that he it was, prob- was probably the top potential candidate to get a head coaching job this coming season and to to know that there there might be some doubt as to whether or not that's going to happen what the hell is going on here Blake uh i mean he he can't coach he's not ready he, he's not ready to be a head coach um that that's all that i have to say about it i don't want him to be a head coach i want him to be the assistant coach for the Kansas City Chiefs for forever. Stop telling people that he can coach. I don't want him to be a head coach anywhere else. I want him to coach in Kansas City because he's the best offensive mind in the league besides maybe Andy Reid. And that brain trust of Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, and Patrick Mahomes is unstoppable. So of course I don't want him to get a head job. Should he get a head job? Yes. If they don't hire him, that is pure insanity and I will be grateful to have Eric Bieniemy back in Kansas City wearing red and gold for as long as the Hunts pay his salary. Pay the man his money. Get him back in Kansas City. I don't care if he gets a head coaching job or not. I'm sure he, he probably wants one. Uh, I, you know, if he's interviewing, I would have to assume that he wants one. Doesn't hurt my feelings to have him in Kansas City, though. The, 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 the longer we have him in Kansas City, the happier I am. And if other teams are stupid enough to not think he can head coach, that's on them. That's not my problem. A lot of these these quote unquote reasons that we're hearing, you know, that they're from sources and it's all anonymous and they're, you know, reporters are tweeting things that they're hearing from anonymous sources about Eric Bienemy or whatever. But some of these some of this reasoning that I've heard is ludicrous. Like it's just ridiculous. Like um, the, the apparently according to one unnamed NFL source, there are concerns about assistance under Andy Reid going on and coaching elsewhere. Um, I'm sorry. Didn't Doug Peterson win a Super Bowl in Philadelphia a couple of years ago? Didn't Matt Nagy lead the Bears to back-to-back uh, playoff runs in Chicago? Haven't there been... Isn't a guy like Sean McDermott, who's part of the Andy Reid coaching tree, doesn't he have the Buffalo Bills in the in the playoffs right now? John Harbaugh coached under Andy Reid. The Ravens are in the playoffs. Like the list goes on and on and on. But yet there is this, you know, there are these sources that are claiming that teams have concerns about assistants that have coached under Andy Reid, and that maybe there because the the reason that I that I've read is that well Andy Reid is the one really doing all the coaching. Oh, it goes back. Gosh. It goes back to what you were saying, Blake, about Greg Marshall and, oh, Isaac, and Isaac Brown at Wichita State. It's the same thing about how you know the head coach gets all the credit. How much really you know does Eric Bieniemy do? And and they, they there have been all of these citations of. You know, you you see the cameras on the sidelines of Patrick Mahomes with Andy Reid going over the playbook and not Eric Bieniemy. And is there a problem there? And it's all no. contri- it's, it's all here's the thing. It's all contrived bullshit. And at the end <laughs> of the day, at the end of the day, Eric Bieniemy absolutely deserves to be a head coach in the National Football League. And the teams that continue to pass on him are absolutely idiotic. Weston, what are your thoughts? 
I'm glad you guys got so worked up about this because then that way I don't have to. I, look, this is to me, to me, frankly, I, I don't. I'm not buying any of this. I think it's smokescreen season. I think there's a lot of there's six head coaching jobs. I, I think Eric Bieniemy is absolutely the top at most of those uh, franchises lists. And I think it's smoke smoke screen season. Absolutely. Because here's the thing. Maybe outside of Jacksonville, I do buy that they may be keyed in on Urban Meyer for some reason, which I, I frankly, I kind of think is stupid. But I can understand. I can understand the the pull for for Urban Meyer there. Other than that, I think EB is going to have his pick of where he wants to go. And I think if you're a franchise, this is no different than talking about Oh, they're not going to draft this quarterback at that court. It's the same same shit you hear, you know, during draft season. It's a complete smokescreen to try to get someone to move around, do certain things. Hey, maybe we need to go get a different guy. Hey, we're starting to hear that buzz about EB. Maybe it's not, you know. I think that's all that it is. I think he's absolutely going to get a head coaching job. And frankly, even if some of this is true, I do think you'll see one or two. If you see one or two. Coaches get hired early on because you know you can't take that second interview with EB right now. Then you know I think there's going to be a three, two or three other teams after that go. Okay, well maybe we you know maybe we really thought Lincoln Riley was in play. Well that's out. So we you know we'd love to have EB. I mean there's I think there is zero percent chance he doesn't get coached now. If you see Mike Kafka get a job, who's the quarterback coach in Kansas City before Eric Bieniemy, then there's something going on. And that that I would raise some red flags, but is he a candidate? Than, yeah, I've heard a lot. I've heard a lot of Mike Kafka buzz, and and again that I I'm still of the camp that a lot of this is just smoke. It's a lot of stuff that agents, insiders put out on behalf. Well, not on behalf of. I'm sure they're truly fed the information from that unnamed GM or that unnamed scout. But I think it's all for a reason. So I'm not buying it. Well, and the only other thing that that I'll say is, you know, I, I think that, like you said, I think Eric Bieniemy will end up having an opportunity to be a head coach. But I agree with you about, you know, Mike Kafka. I think is a is a good quarterbacks coach, and obviously he's he's coaching the the top quarterback in the league right now. But Eric Bieniemy deserves a chance before Mike Kafka. I think there's a good there's a good potential that Mike Kafka ends up the new offensive coordinator for Kansas City yeah, when absolutely. Eric Bieniemy left. However. Uh, uh, as a as a wild card, as kind of a dark horse, don't be totally surprised if if Eric Bieniemy leaves, if Doug Peterson comes back to Kansas City to be the offensive coordinator under Andy Reid, considering he's no longer in Philadelphia, that could happen. I don't think it will, but uh, I, you know Andy Reid is pretty loyal to his guys and could find a landing spot there uh, for the Chiefs with Doug Peterson. I'm just saying that could happen. So quick fun nugget, uh, I think it was last year, and I can't I can't even remember now what offensive coordinator position it was, but Andy Reid actually blocked whatever team it was and I'm forgetting uh, interviewing Mike Kafka for their OC job I have zero doubts that Mike Kafka has been told hey look EB is going to go get a job you're our guy in waiting love Doug Peterson some weird stuff went on in Philly but I I think I think this job has been promised to Mike Kafka as soon as as Eric Biennemi leaves just stay in Kansas City Eric (laughs) Biennemi you don't get you don't get to take Patrick Mahomes with you you're going to go coach some dumpster fire next year. All these coaches, all these teams that are looking for coaches are bad. You don't want to be there. You want to be with Andy Reid. Come win a couple more rings. You're going to win rings there. Stay in Kansas City. 
Well, I think that the, uh, the I think there there will be a good landing spot for him as long as that landing spot is not the dumpster fire that is the Houston Texans. As long as Eric Bieniemy stays as far away from the Texans as possible, uh, considering all the drama I'd going be in on Houston there than in New York. There's well, no true. worse. There's no worse team than the Jets. Don't, By the way, if I was Eric Bieniemy, I wouldn't go to the. I would say, you know what? I'm not going. I'd rather be coaching Patrick Mahomes to be the head coach of the Jets. By the way, speaking of the Texans, I don't know if you guys saw this breaking news just come through, uh, but Bill O'Brien, former coach of the Texans, is finalizing a deal to be the new offensive coordinator for the Alabama Crimson Tide, replacing Steve Steve Sarkeesian, who is now the head coach at the uh, for the Texas Longhorns. Um, so yeah, de- definitely uh, some moves there for sure. Speaking of college football, very quickly, let's get into a little bit of Kansas Jayhawk football. I know the obviously the season was a dumpster fire, has been for quite a while. But I know, Weston, you're going to love talking about this very briefly. There have been some some pretty high-level commits for the Jayhawks over the last couple of weeks, starting with the highest-ranked recruit ever at Kansas. That's Quadarius Davis. He's a six-foot receiver and rivals 36th-ranked player in the class of 2021. He committed to Kansas over Florida and Oklahoma State. Now, he was previously committed to three other teams, SMU, Texas and USC. So let's see how long he lasts as a Kansas commit. But as of now, it's the biggest recruiting win in program history if it can hold. So Weston, I'll start with you. Your thoughts on Quadarius Davis as a Jayhawk? Yeah, I mean, you got to get talented at the program or you're never going to win. So, but I, I mean, I already know what Blake's going to say, so I got to jump on it early. I mean, he's got to show up, right? He's got to be on campus. Um, I, I get that, but I mean, what other Blake, Blake, Blake. Blake, look at me. Look at me in the camera. Look at me. Let let us let us have some sort of excitement as a program. This is something. Just let us have it. Oh my goodness! It, it, I mean, the the kid, everything is showing measurables through the roof. Got to show out when he shows up next fall. Um, they got uh, they also got Tim Grenhard's son, Colin, uh, Colin Grenhard, Colin. right? Colin at yep. uh, center, so that's already a huge huge improvement. I I have to imagine he'll immediately be the best offensive lineman on that that Jayhawk uh, front five. Then if we can just find somebody to throw the football, you know. I, <laughs> If we just find somebody to play defense, we just find somebody to do everything. Blake, I pleaded uh, with many, you, to, Tommy. Tommy, how many schools did you say that he had uh, that he had been to? How many schools um, he committed already? This will be his fourth commitment, by the way. Fourth commitment, really? Is this is this one binding? Is there anything binding him to key with this commitment? No. Is, no. is he signed any 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 paper? No, uh, not, no, not to my knowledge. Oh. But but I'm but I'm supposed to get excited about this. That that's that's what you're saying is I need to get well, excited about it. When he's already told three other schools, nah, no thanks, I'm out. And he if he's going to stay at Kansas. Why? Why would you stay at Kansas? Why? <laughs> Not. Yeah, I'm glad you agree. I'm glad we're on the same page because this he is, is meaningless. So he is the fifth, re- the fifth best receiver in the nation, um, <laughs> according to uh, according to rivals. Um, oh. So, and, and like you mentioned, Weston, he's not the only one. Colin Grunhard, who is a transfer from Notre Dame, uh, he is going to be coming back home playing for the Jayhawks. And you mentioned, could there be somebody to throw the football to uh, for? 
the Jayhawks. They just got a three-star commit from Conrad Holly, who's a Missouri prep quarterback. He's joining the class of 2021 for the Jayhawks. So uh, the football program now poised to bring in two first-year quarterbacks in time for spring practices. Ben Easters is already committed to the Jayhawks. And of course, they've got Jalen Daniels uh, returning. You know what that means? Two first-year quarterbacks for KU. The return of the two-quarterback system. Let's go. I can't wait to watch the quarterback carousel for about the seventh year in a row in Lawrence. Well, they God, still have, I love first-year quarterbacks. They still have Jalen Daniels, too, so it could be Great. A three, three quarterbacks. Three. We can run three quarterbacks. The first three-quarterback system. Can I God, say one how thing? How can we lose now? Can I let me just say one thing though, as far as the the recruiting class goes for the, for the Jayhawks, I completely understand where you're coming from, Blake. I get the fact that until they show up, until they make a difference, until they're they're coached up and they can win, it doesn't really matter. But I also understand Weston where you're coming from as far as like, can we have something to be excited about? This this is something I'll say. The, the Jayhawks. Now, this is not the this not it's not going to blow you away by any means. But the Jayhawks have the thirty second ranked recruiting class in 2021 coming in again it, it's not the it, it's not the best ever but 32 you know in, in the power five is pretty solid they've got the third highest ranked recruiting class in the big 12 behind oklahoma and texas behind top oklahoma five and texas. next year right we're gonna win, we're gonna be a top five team in the big 12 next year well, no, like th- that's not the correlation I'm trying to make. I'm just saying it is something. It is something that we can say. All right, look, at least they're 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 working their tails off in recruiting. If we can get it to stick, if we can get them to show up, if we can get them to play, if we can get them to win. I mean, there's a lot of ifs there, but at least that's a start. And I think that that's something to at least be relatively excited about. I know you're not going to agree with that, but that's just kind of no. the point that I'm coming from. So. No. We're, we're, we're not excited. We're, we're not. I mean, I'll be excited to turn on my television or turn on my radio September whenever KU plays and think, all right, it's going to be different this year. And then have my heart ripped out as we lose to Coastal California A&M Technical School of the Mines by seven when we turn it over four times. I can't wait for that to happen in September. Yeah, you say that now. What, can, do we have a way to clip this? You say that now. Who's the first team on KU's schedule next year? I will refer you back to January 13th, episode 49, Cogpot. I will refer you back to this episode if we're a dumpster fire in September. You play that now. I'm just, I'm just saying. It looks like their first their first game is against the South Dakota Coyotes. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. That's an automatic win. Sure, sure it is. <laughs> we'll we'll clip this and uh and we'll see, we'll see how things pan out for Kansas. Hey, uh let's transition very quickly to Kansas State football. A big congratulations to Darren Sproles, uh, who is being inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Of course, we all know about his 15-year NFL career. He amassed over 19,000 all-purpose yards. He was a Heisman finalist in 2003. But of course, his stats at Kansas State speak for themselves. He's K-State's all-time leading rusher with almost 4,000 yards on the ground. He ranked 11th all-time nationally and 6th all-time nationally in all-purpose yards. Well-deserved for Darren Sproles entering in uh, the College Football Hall of Fame. I don't know about you guys, but I remember watching him during his time at Kansas State and... um, I mean, clearly just something special. I mean, he was just, he was awe. He was awe inspiring to watch. I don't know what you guys thought when you watched him play. 
By the way, almost five thousand yards. Five thousand yards rushing at at That's Kansas what I said. State. Oh, you said four thousand. I thought I thought no. you said four thousand. Maybe I got it wrong, but it's almost almost five. Almost five yeah, almost five thousand yards. Yeah. And uh, how many stars was he when he went to Kansas State? Uh, oh man, water, I have no idea. How many? I'm I'm betting they probably wasn't three or probably wasn't two. Let's see, born in Waterloo, Iowa, Olathe North. So he's a Kansas born product. You know, I mean, this was a he's a typical Bill Snyder type of a guy, a guy that everybody says is too short, five six, one ninety, too short to play at the power five level, too small to be an impact maker in the NFL, and. Bill Snyder went out and found him in this state and made a player out of him. I don't want to say made a player out of him. Darren Sproles worked extremely hard on his own. I'm sure that Bill Snyder was drawn to it because of his effort, because he's such an upstanding guy, went to the NFL, huge in Philadelphia, huge for the Saints and the Chargers. But this isn't a guy that was a three-star recruit. I don't, I don't want to hear about star recruits anymore. Give me guys like Darren Sproles. L- let me know when Darren Sproles guys show up in, in Lawrence, and I'll be happy with that. I don't need stars. I want Darren Sproles. How about that? Weston, any thoughts on Darren Sproles going into the College Football Hall of Fame? I don't know how you expect me to follow that. I mean, you know, Blake really took charge there. But no, I mean, did you get us? I don't know if either of you guys got a chance to see the uh, looks like Bill Snyder got to uh, let him know. Or did you see the Zoom video of him him telling Darren? I have not. No. I thought that was a really cool moment. Uh, and, and really, frankly, I feel like I haven't I haven't seen Bill Snyder's face in a while. So yeah, it, was a, it was just a really, really good moment all around and and pretty, pretty cool for Darren Sproles. One of the best to do it. And maybe it's just my age, but I will always think of when I think of the, the highest of high end years for Kansas State, I associate that with with Darren Sproles, really. Well, yeah, big congratulations to Darren as he enters the College Football Hall of Fame. It looks like the ceremony uh, will be in December is the plan for that. Before we get out of here, let's very quickly get into our Wichita whip around here on Keeper of the Games and talk a little bit about the Wichita wind surge and just uh, baseball in Wichita in general. So first off, one of the big stories that came out over the past couple of days is that the National Baseball Congress Museum will be going into Riverfront Stadium in downtown Wichita. It was part of the $83 million stadium product uh, project. And uh, so, yeah, it, it, that looks like that's going to happen. So now the NBC is looking for old and historically significant baseball gear and memorabilia to be put on display. With that, on top of it, the uh, NBC could very well get their debt erased by the Wichita City Council. So on Tuesday, the City Council approved a $600,000 design build project for that museum, and they plan to forgive at least $75,000 in debt owned by the NBC Foundation. So kind of a a trade-off there for NBC Baseball to continue and to have that museum happen in Riverfront Stadium. Blake, your thoughts on that? I've been a longtime advocate. The NBC not only should have a museum, they should have offices at the new stadium. They were promised a space at the new stadium. The tournament should be at the new stadium, period. Especially right now with minor league baseball, not knowing what the hell is going on. The National Baseball Congress should be a permanent fixture at the new stadium. If they can't make that happen, that's a sham because Everybody said every step of the way as that was being built, as they were trying to tear up the land around it, as they were buying up the land around it, 
the NBC is going to have a presence at this stadium. I'm glad they do. They should. They should have a bigger presence than just a museum. The offices and the tournament should be there. Yeah, if you've got any memorabilia uh, from anything in Wichita baseball's history, make sure to let the National Baseball Congress know, Kevin Jinkson and the crew there at the the NBC know, because that could very well end up uh, in the NBC Museum that will end up being built and opened at Riverfront Stadium. Some other Wichita wind surge news that happened while we were on our break. The president of the Wichita wind surge, Jay Miller, has resigned and will no longer be part of the team. In fact, that happened right before Christmas. It was right after uh, we, we recorded our last episode. So Jay Miller, president, no longer with the team, but apparently the team remains on track to open its new season at the New Riverfront Stadium. No uh, no explanation as to his resignation. It could be anything. We don't know. Uh, but it's been a, a tough year, obviously, for the wind surge and you know, the, the COVID-19 pandemic canceling the, the season and then the death of Lou Schwetzheimer, uh, you know, back in, in, I believe it was July when he passed away due to COVID. And then, of course, the change in affiliation from the Miami Marlins to the Minnesota Twins and dropping down to double A. So it's been a tumultuous year for the wind surge. uh, And now they don't have their president, but it does look like the team will continue on their path forward. Any thoughts on that from either one of you guys? Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody sets out in in sports to you know be a career, and same with the players, a career minor leaguer, right? So I, you know, I, I think at that level, you just you know, there's probably other oppor- opportunities that presented themselves, and it could be even a career change. You know, frankly, not even necessarily because you're going somewhere else. I just don't think. You know, there's just not a lot of folks that get into, into professional sports and want to go that route that end up, you know shooting for just staying in the minor league. So I, no big deal, frankly, I think. I think there's a lot of um, overturn a lot of times at this level, and, and I think the wind surge will just continue on as, as normal business. I want to see well, a schedule. There's a, yeah. There's no, there's no schedule on the right. website. It, and what might it, what might end up being a bigger deal, and to that point, Blake, is that there are reports that the minor league season could be delayed again. That was something that I think I tweeted about about a week ago when I saw that come through. According to J.J. Cooper from Baseball America, the report is that MLB, who is now running minor league baseball, we talked about that on our last episode, they have decided that players at the double A and single A levels will not report to spring training until after both major Major League and AAA players have already departed from camp, which could, in theory, delay the start of the season into the month of May. There are also reports that there could be a scenario where minor league baseball does not have a postseason, where they could just play their regular season games and not have any kind of postseason to determine any kind of champion. Again, none of this has been confirmed. It's all reporting that's that's being done right now. How big of a blow would that be for the win search before they even play a game to have have the season delayed into May and then have no postseason. I, I hope the season does get delayed. I, I really do. And because we're, we're past to the point about debating on, you know, how many people should be in a stadium, this or that. We just, we, it is what it is now, right? We know, you know, there's going to be limited capacity in that stadium. I'd almost rather it get delayed a little bit. And boy, I want as many people allowed into that stadium as possible for game one for the Wichita wind surge. I mean, I certainly don't want it to be, I'm not saying advocating for June, July, anything crazy, but boy, I'd love to see that stadium halfway full or more full. And as we're rolling out this vaccine, and I don't know what the timeline of any type of normalcy is, but you got to imagine the more people get vaccinated, the closer we're getting to having more and more people in stadiums. 
I, I would just love to see that stadium full or, or as full as it can be come come the home opener. I don't think that it's going to matter at all. The delay, the damage from the delay has already been done, whether it's another week or another month or, you know, the the initial momentum that the wind surge had has been lost at this point. Not necessarily their fault, nothing they could really do about it. In fact, there was nothing they could do about it, but it, it's that damage has been done. And if there's no postseason, you know, baseball operated successfully with little to no postseason for years. And they play enough games, you don't really have to have a postseason to determine a champion anyway now would a postseason be better i absolutely it should this should not become the new normal but i don't think that it makes that big of a difference for this year if they started on time they started late it's not going to make a big deal i just want to know when they're going to play doesn't matter when they're going to play just when are you going to play Hey, I, I feel you. I'm the exact same way. I actually called the Wichita Wind Surge ticket office like a week ago because I had my season tickets from last year and I knew that I could get them exchanged for this coming season. And I was like, hey, I would love to do that process. And they're like, we can't tell you when you can exchange them because we don't know our schedule yet. So I think that that that's that a lot of people are feeling that way. Um, and hopefully we have an answer to that soon. Again, none of this has been confirmed other than what we talked about with the NBC and with the president of the wind surge. But as far as the, the, the schedule and the delay and the postseason, none of that's been confirmed, but as soon as we know, we'll make sure to pass that on. They that's our get on to it. They, they need do. to get on it because I, just saying, I don't know if all of their season ticket holders will be as patient as you are. People are going to get tired of waiting sure. and get bored. And, you know, there's something else to do. There's always something else. Even if you're not going out, there's something else to do. So for right. those people who have identified like, hey, I want to be a season ticket holder, they need to reach. They should be reaching out to you guys, yeah. not the other way around. Well, and there had been there had been very little, and I'm not trying to be critical of the wind surge, um, but th- there was no communication whatsoever from them to season ticket holders. So I had to call well, them. I, I don't mind right. being critical. Sure, and and the two options were either you know get a refund or we can exchange them when we know. And so I think that there might, there probably for sure are season ticket holders that are like, yeah, just give me my money back. Like, I don't want to wait, you know, to figure for you guys to figure out what's going on. So I know a lot of it's out of their hands and a lot of it's, uh, you know, an organization as far as the, you know, minor league baseball organization trying to figure it out. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's not ideal uh, whatsoever, but we'll make sure to keep you posted as we know more about that. That's our Wichita whip around. And uh, on our next episode, we're going to dive more into like prep hoop, and we're t- going to talk a little bit about uh, the Wichita Thunder, some of those other things that are going on around the Metro. Before we get out of here very quickly, I just want to ask you guys, it's not really a finally funny, just kind of a question. Did either of you guys watch the Bears and Saints game on Nickelodeon over the weekend? I don't get Nickelodeon. No, you, no I, was, I wouldn't have. It was so much fun, and I didn't watch all of it. I flipped back and forth between Jim Nance and Tony Romo and then uh, the Nickelodeon broadcast. But you know what? It was pretty fun. I think the best part about it, though, was when Cordero Patterson for the Bears dropped the F-bomb live on Nickelodeon. I thought that was <laughs> I thought that was pretty hilarious. So um, uh, they really didn't. I don't. They just didn't really even acknowledge it. But it sure. was during a you know a referee call, and uh, you know the referee's mic was on, and Cordero Patterson was close to the referee and said "What the f?" and it went over the air, which was awesome. And as much as I would love to see more NFL games on Nickelodeon, I'm not sure that uh, they particularly enjoyed having that on their airwaves. But um, maybe we'll <laughs> see more of that at, in season to come. I guess. Big shout out to Nate Burleson who did the uh, the Nickelodeon yeah. broadcast. Heard fantastic things about him. I think he's one. One of the most underrated guys in sure. all of sports media. He's fantastic. 
Yeah, he was he was really good at explaining the game like to kids, you know, saying like, here's what the here's what the red zone is. Like one of the things I remember him saying was, you know, the uh, an offense pushing the ball down the field is like the homework. But when they get into the red zone, that's like the test. And I was like, that's actually a pretty good analogy for these kids who are learning about football. So, yeah, I thought some of it was kind of hokey, the slime that they did and the cartoon eyes and things like that. But as far as the commentary and the way that they kind of, I don't want to say dumbed it down, but the way they simplified the game uh, to make it work for those kids, I thought was pretty awesome. So hats off to Nate Burleson for sure. Uh, that's going to wrap things up for our first show back here after the holiday, our, our episode one of season two. How do you guys feel? Feeling strong, feeling good. The good episode. Uh, in, again, incorrect usage of the correct take horn today, but you know you got a whole year to figure it out. Again, that's not when. That's not. That's not how that works. Blake, well, you know, we, yeah, we, we we call you hot take Blake for a reason. So <laughs> that'll, correct that'll, take. Yeah, that'll have to continue for sure. Hey, make sure to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we have a brand new episode of the podcast, you'll get a notification. Of course, you can find us on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. You can find us on our website, cogsports.com, kogsports.com. You can watch full episodes on YouTube and Facebook by searching for Keeper of the Games. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's at kogpod. Blake, what is your Twitter handle? B-E Crips, C-R-I-P-P-S. Weston, how about you? At WMills94. And you can follow me anytime at Tweets from Tommy. We'll be back next week for another episode of Keeper of the Games. For Hot Take Blake Cripps, for Weston Mills, I'm, t- I'm Tommy Caster. You've been checking out Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Caster and Weston Mills. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod. 